How can you drive company culture change in a large bureaucratic organization? How do you get executive buy-in? Hear how it happened with Justine Gamble at Utah Valley University. Hey there, I'm Krista Vance, entrepreneur and operations leader. And I'm Matt Vance, award-winning author and social innovation researcher. We're your hosts of the Culture Profit Podcast. Your place for purposeful company culture strategy. Learn from HR pros, executives, and thought leaders how to prioritize profits by prioritizing people. This episode is sponsored by Mobrium, the best friend of forward-thinking HR leaders helping you strengthen your employer reputation as a reflection of your real culture. Learn more at Mobrium.com. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us. Question for you, what do COVID and AI have in common? They might seem completely unrelated, but both have and continue to change our world. Today, we're talking about change management, what it is and how HR leaders can more per- be more purposeful when creating culture change in organizations. We have Justine Gamble with us today. She works within UVU, Utah Valley University's People and Culture Office, overseeing culture and communication where she strives to create that positive employee experience for UVU's 6,500 employees. Some of her projects include developing the national and regional award-winning leadership and staff competencies program, program, so that's amazing, completely revamping new employee onboarding, implementing remote work, and conducting hundreds of hours of leadership and executive coaching and training using the Berkman Method. She was recently awarded UVU's Employee Award of Excellence and Outstanding Alumni Award for her ability to quickly achieve buy-in up and down the chain of command to deliver these employee programs successfully. That's amazing. And thank you so much for being here with us today, Justine. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I love the work that you all are doing. I'm excited to talk about it. We are too. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for joining us. So just to kick things off, Justine, we're curious, you know, company cultures is kind of a niche space um, when you talk about all the different careers that are out there. But how did you get into company culture? I really wish when they had career days like in elementary school that there would have been somebody that came in and talked about being a culture leader. Right? I, mean, I would have naturally gravitated towards that. But I didn't even know it was a job. In fact, I, so I got my undergrad at UVU. And I got my undergrad in public relations. And while I was at UVU, my student job was I was a ambassador for UVU where I did recruitment for prospective students. So I would give campus tours and I would give presentations at high schools and different things like that. Um, But my dream job, like my plan when I graduated was I wanted to work up in Park City at one of the super fancy resorts, um, like the Waldorf Astoria or the Montana. Right. I know it sounds super glamorous. I think I just wanted to go to really fancy parties. I think that was really fun. And when I was at UVU, they have what's called the Career Development Center where they have career counselors. And I was meeting with one my last few semesters and she recommended that I do some job shadows just to make sure it's what I wanted to do. And I'm really grateful that she recommended that because I was able to set up some job shadows and realized that while they were really awesome opportunities, that is absolutely not what I wanted to do. 
Um, so I was kind of floundering for a little bit, as I think a lot of recent grads are. I ended up getting a part-time internship, like a temporary one at a tech company doing some training and marketing stuff. And I really liked that. So I knew I wanted to go in that space. But my partner, he at the time actually worked at UVU and their people and culture division as an intern. And he told me when the training and development position opened up and told me to apply. So, so I did and got it and really just fell into this world of just amazing impact. Um, again, I had never really thought about HR, people and culture work, um, but I was able to come into this culture within my own people and culture division that really advocated for innovation, um, for trust, for taking risks, for failure, and it allowed me to grow really fast within the organization and accomplish a lot of things really quickly that I'm super grateful for. And I will probably be here a long time because I absolutely love the culture work. It's pretty lucky that you got into a position like that so early on in your career where you were given that trust and you're obviously so reliable and have pushed pushed yourself to the limits to achieve great things at UVU and so that trust has been rewarded and it's amazing and we're going to get into that more so you have four years of tenure at UVU two and a half years in your current role leading culture so you've really grown. <laughs> what has been the key to driving change in such a short period of time in a large organization, a university? I think universities are pretty well known for their bureaucracy. There's lots of rules, lots of policies, lots of hoops they have to jump through. And I think a big part, and I do want to give a little bit of a caveat um, before I dive into this and recognize like the privilege that I do have, um, both working at an organization that has built in structures to implement change that I'll talk about, but also being in a position with the leaders that I have um, it's really rare for especially somebody at my age to have an opportunity to institute like institutional wide change. And so while yes, like some of it's my personality and stuff, a lot of it is the leaders that I have in the organization that I work with. But I do think a lot of the principles that we'll talk about can be applied in any position and even at like a micro scale within a team versus like a whole organization. Um, but I would say the biggest key to delivering um, these like really quick impactful changes and jumping through some of this bureaucracy is being able to achieve organizational buy-in from the entire organization. So from the employees on the ground, getting their buy-in and their input throughout the whole process, as well as accomplishing and achieving decision-maker buy-in throughout the whole process. If you have those two things, you can really, really accomplish anything. I'm happy to dive into any aspect of that that you think would be interesting. Yeah, I, I actually would love to hear a little bit more about I'm guessing it's like a survey that you have for for employees and for students to to gauge their buy-in along the process. That's kind of what you mentioned. So tell me a little bit about the surveying that you guys do. Yes, yes, for sure. And so I think that the first step before we even dive into like the research feedback is like humility and recognizing that just because we are employees and we work with employees a lot, we are not like the subject matter experts and like everything that employees need or everything that employees want. And so being able to remove ourselves and get into a headspace where we're humble enough to like receive that feedback, I think is the first step. The second step is actually conducting the research. And so things that I found successful are doing surveys for sure, but also focus groups. That's really where we've gotten the biggest impact. So for example, um, I mentioned one of my very first projects was completely revamping the whole onboarding experience. And 
pretty quickly I realized that that was a really big project that had a lot of pieces. And while I was a new employee at the time and I could have said, oh, I'm a new employee, like I, I know what they need. Um, I decided to put together four focus groups. Uh, the first two, we got employees that had been at the university less than three months. So new employees and we got them in a room and we put up these massive like poster board sticky notes and we handed them markers and we had four sticky notes and they had different timeframes on them. So the first one was after acceptance then we had first day, first week, and first month. And we had them go around and say, what information do you feel like you needed at each of these time periods? So after you accepted your position, what did you need to know before your first day? Those kinds of questions. Then the other two focus groups we did was we got supervisors who had hired employees within the last three months, and we did the exact same activity. So we said, as a supervisor, what do you feel like employees need to know at these time periods? And that's really where we got our content was from these focus groups in addition to some surveys and interviews, right? And so I think that that's a big part because then even if employees weren't part of those focus groups or surveys, if we can communicate to the campus when we're implementing these new initiatives, that that's where we got the content, they feel like, oh, my people like me were taken into consideration, helped build this. And so I think that's a really big part of it is that that research part at the beginning. So a small follow up on that. Um, how were you able to ensure you had like, I guess, a diverse representation from all the different departments and the different demographics as part of that uh, focus group program? How, how were you able to kind of get a balanced perspective? So that's super important, right? Because onboarding for like our grounds team is going to be very different from like our recruitment, like donation team that's like getting money yeah. for the university. And so we did, we sent out the survey um, or the focus group invitation to everybody. And then we looked at who had responded and for the first focus group. And that's how we developed our second focus group is we looked at the areas that weren't represented. And we specifically reached out to leaders in that area and said, hey, do you have anybody that started within three months that you'd be willing to send to a focus group? Because you're right, we wanted a very like diverse uh, population. And that's also where the survey came in handy is we got a lot more responses to the survey than we had in the focus group. I like that. And, I, and I've done focus groups as well. And I think they do provide a, a different um, I guess, depth to the feedback that you get because you're having this human to human connection in person, or maybe it's virtual sometimes depending on the situation, but obviously sticky notes. I mean, um, unless there's some program, I don't know about virtual sticky notes, but I think that's something, a layer that's really good to have is that um, human to human feedback opportunity. Yeah, for sure. And I think another big piece of that is not only getting their feedback at the development, but as you're building the, the program, right? Like it's an iterative process where you're sending it out and getting feedback at different points. And once you have the final product, you go back to the people that provided feedback and you say, hey, here's a final product and here's how we took your feedback and your content into consideration while we were building this. That's going to immediately make them feel like an owner. They're going to become an advocate. They're going to tell their coworkers about it. They're going to tell their leaders about it. And that's going to be a good way to help it spread um, because they feel like they were part of that process. That's cool. I think that's a really good way. You took initiative to communicate with these focus groups and then the communication continued from there. So I think that was such a smart way to get buy-in from the organization as a whole. And we want to talk a little bit as well about how you've gotten buy-in from you know, leaders and executives. And you, you've kind of mentioned that there's a really great culture there, um, but I'd love to hear just how you manage those relationships. 
Oh, absolutely. I feel like it really comes down to you views like core values, which are exceptional care, exceptional accountability, and exceptional results. And using those values to actually manage up and build strategic relationships and mutually beneficial relationships, because ultimately what can really help us build like those advocates is making our leaders' life easier, right? And so exceptional care, right? It's getting to know our leaders as a person, like not putting them on this godlike pedestal and like being super scared of them, but getting to know their likes and their dislikes and their family and their hobby and getting to know them as a person whenever possible, right? Whenever realistic. Exceptional accountability is being the one to initiate accountability conversations. So if you have a leader that comes to you and gives you a project or five projects or whatever that looks like, instead of waiting for them to come back and say, hey, what's the status on that? You provide regular updates and say, hey, just wanna like check in, here's like two paragraphs summarizing where I'm at these projects, let me know if I'm heading in the right direction. And then with exceptional results, it's delivering on those results. It's being confident and competent and being able to make your supervisor or your executive or whatever that looks like your leader's life easier by helping them reach their goals. It's aligning your projects and your priorities to their priorities and goals and helping them accomplish the things that they want to do. And so I think that is the really the foundation is the relationship. Um, and that way it builds trust and all of the other projects will have that trust as just kind of the, the foundation. That's such a great way to institutionalize managing those relationships. You were able to just list off those values like it was nothing. And so that shows like that UVU really actually has those values and that you've not only created them, but you understand them and you use them. Yeah, I appreciate it. And I, and obviously like every, every culture is going to have like its issues, right? So I definitely want to don't be like, or don't want to be like, oh, wow, you've used like perfect in every way. Everyone a hundred percent always does these, but I truly do feel like everyone that is there, like believes in the mission of the university, believes in these values, wants to accomplish them. And when everyone's bought in like that, it does create a culture of trust because you trust that everyone's working towards the same shared goal. And when you have that common goal, it becomes us against the problem versus like the competition of me versus you. I think that's great. And winning as a team, realizing that within the work environment that there are actual relationships and they're different than other types of relationships that you have in other components of your life, but they're, they are a relationship that should be acknowledged. We need to be aware of it <clears throat> and then manage those relationships as well, both with our, our peers, our team members and our you know leaders as well when we're trying to create change in an organization. So let's talk a little bit about like a specific thing that has changed within UVU. I know that sometimes, you know, being in a similar role myself, driving company culture, sometimes you make a suggestion about changing something and they say no, because, you know, the executive team, they have a different point of view where they can see other parts of the business in a different light. And, and our job in the HR space is to, bubble up those things that we see from our perspective that could be valuable to the organization. So let's talk about at UVU, tell us a success story of something that has changed. What was that thing? And just kind of tell us about it. Yeah, great question. I feel like there's almost like three questions within that, right? It's like, how can we help increase buy-in with executives, right? When, especially when we might not see all that they do and they don't see all that we do. There's like a specific time, I've been able to do that at UVU and then there's um, 
oh i lost the third one but i'll talk about those two for sure oh and then there's also no, like what do you what do you do when they say no right those are kind of like <laughs> okay <things>. yes <laughs> so first i would say like when you are trying to like implement a change and you need decision making maker buy-in and you have this relationship ideally you have this executive advocate you've built that foundation really making sure to include them from the very beginning and that will probably be easy if they're the one giving you the project, right? So for example, we developed a supervisor review and that idea came straight from President Tamunas. So it was super easy to get executive buy-in because she wanted it to happen. But there might be times where we have experiences that they are not seeing and we have ideas that we want to implement and we need to get them on board and have those conversations and present clear and concise benefits of the program. So I think that's really important. And then once you have that like executive advocate then it's building out more executive advocates and getting feedback from executives throughout that iterative process. So we're talking about getting buy-in from the institution, from the organization, from the employee level. Throughout that process, you should also be ideally meeting with other decision makers and getting their feedback, right? And so the example that I'll talk about here in a second is leadership competency experience. And throughout that whole process, when we were doing focus groups and surveys, I was also meeting one-on-one -on -one with most of our executives, especially ones that had experience in leadership development and saying like, hey, based on your doctorate, like your whatever thing that you did at the very end, I can't remember the, the, the name of it, like that was on this topic, like what expertise do you have that we can incorporate? So that way, when you go to present the final product, you have a lot of people already in your court. You have a lot of people that already feel, again, bought in. They feel like co-owners. They feel like contributors to the project and they're going to be more likely to be open to it. And so I think that's kind of that first question of how to get that decision maker buy-in. It's getting your executive advocate, it's trying to make as many as you can. And then at times too, leveraging your executive advocate's relationship and political capital, right? And so for example, my vice president, she recently asked me to put together um, a working mothers conference for UVU employees, which is super yeah. exciting. And so I did all of the work, I sent out the emails and like we got pretty good registration, but we wanted it to be bigger. So I was like, hey, Marilyn, I want you to like, let's talk to the executives. Like, I want you to kind of talk to them and let's get them on board and let's have them share it. And so in one of her meetings, she said, hey, the expectation, like we're gonna host this and I want all of you to be there. And so now we have the president of the university coming, we have every executive coming, we have like, it's just totally expanded it. So sometimes using the like relationships and political capital that they have can be really beneficial as well. So that's the like first question of managing um, those relationships to get decision maker buy-in. Second question of how we've been able to do that at UVU, an example, and I mentioned the leadership competency experience. What this is, is we have developed six leadership competencies. They specifically tie to our UVU values. So like I mentioned, those are exceptional care, accountability, and results. Um, the six competencies are developing others, promoting an inclusive culture, communicating clearly and candidly, holding yourself and others accountable, delivering results and managing effectively. And uh, those are the things that we want our supervisors and our leaders to be competent in, in order to have a successful culture at UVU and live our values. So we developed these competencies and then we've tried to weave them into every aspect of the employee experience. And so we have like recommended hiring questions. So when search committees are hiring for a supervisor position, they're asking questions related to these leadership competencies. So ideally we're hiring supervisors that already have a lot of these, these expectations and competency. We have new supervisor orientation and we talk about these competencies and all of the resources as part of the onboarding process. 
Then we have what's called the UVU Lead Workshop Program, where we have about 20 different workshops. Each workshop specifically ties to one of the leadership competencies, because we don't want to just like drop these competencies on people and say like, good luck, like hope you figure it out, right? Like we want to provide resources and that's what that training program is. And then the feedback portion is we have the supervisor review that I mentioned earlier, where employees can anonymously evaluate their supervisor on how well they're meeting these competencies and these expectations. And based on that feedback, they're then referred back to training. So it's this continual cycle of them continually developing. And so how we developed these competencies, we did focus groups, we did surveys with employees. Like I mentioned, I met with executives, we tied them to the values so that president already felt pretty bought in knowing that they came from the values that she had um, kind of developed for the university. And once we had all of this you know, developed, then we were able to implement it. And we had a lot of that buy-in. Some of the results that we've seen, um, we've had a 20% decrease in employees leaving because of conflict with the supervisor. Wow, um, yeah. that's huge. Yeah, and that was a big thing we noticed, like, because we do an exit survey, right? Like, that was the number one reason people were leaving the university. I think that's pretty universal. People quit leaders, not jobs, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, in the last three years, we've been doing this 20% less um, percentage of employees that have been leaving. We also see people that go through the UV lead program that get the certification that we offer. 30% of them have gotten a promotion um, since we've implemented the program. So it's helping them career advancement wise. Mm -hmm. And those people that go through the program, they get on average like a 10 to 20% higher supervisor review um, result the year after they get their certification. So the program is effective in helping them become better leaders for their employees. So yeah, that's amazing. It's been successful. And you mentioned your your third thing was what to do if they say no, right? <laughs> yes, yes, because that is very, very valid. And I have had that um, happen before. So my recommendation with this would be not to lose hope because you probably still planted a seed. Um, so an example of a time this happened to me is that me and a coworker, we were noticing as we were developing some training around annual reviews and performance development and things that there is kind of an issue with compensation because our annual increases were tied to the annual review results. So people were really inflating their scores to try and get higher merit increases, right? Mm -hmm. And so I did a ton of research and kind of found that for our specific situation, tying annual increases to the annual review didn't make a lot of sense. What would probably be better is to offer an annual cost of living increase and then have money set aside for like performance bonuses as people did awesome things throughout the year, right? So money would be specifically attached to like a project or a behavior or something awesome that somebody did versus just tied to their performance review. Um, and so we did a ton of external research. Again, we did surveys, focus groups. We did the whole thing. We were meeting with vice presidents, getting their feedback. And ultimately our vice president met with the president of the university and the president was like, you know, like I kind of get where you're coming from, but I really value pay for performance. Like we're gonna stick with pay for performance. But ever since then, we've always had a really, really high cost of living increase because it helped her see the value of cost of living. So even though she didn't adopt the program or the compensation structure that we wanted her to, it planted that seed to understand the value of um, cost of living increases. And so it might not, again, go exactly the way that you planned, but I would say don't lose hope. It's probably still going to institute some sort of effective change and like, 
keep conducting research, right? Like keep gathering more and more data and try again next year with additional data or additional solutions or ideas. Like don't give up on a program or an idea or a solution to a problem just because you got told no once. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I remember. It's hard to say no to data. I, yes. Matt and I totally are all about that. So. Amen to that. 100% agree. Data is some, it's a tool to help us make more informed and, and better decisions. I have a few comments based on what you've shared. The first is when you were talking about the um, the Working Mothers Conference and you were able to get some of the leadership to not only attend, but you know send out communications and um, support this event. Um, that doesn't really cost anything other than some time, right? Like there's no new dollars to spend um, for that impact that leaders can make. Leaders. Any people leaders that are listening right now, you have a superpower of influence on people and, and shaping perceptions and helping create change and, and influence. I, I have a voicemail saved on my phone to this day from 2018, where um, a leader that I had sent me a message that was super impactful about a project that I was working on. And I still have it saved because it made such a, a difference to me. So, you know, take the time to to support those initiatives that are important to the organization. Take the time to say that positive thing um, to your team members, to your peers, because it definitely makes a difference. Okay, so one other thought here is you talked about the leadership competencies and how they were directly connected to values. Now, company values are hugely important. In my opinion, they're the behavioral guideposts to help shape how people act in your company culture, in your workplace. And having those in place and trying to shape people's behaviors, it's not this overhanded you know, control thing. It's trying to promote goodness. It's trying to promote the things that have the best outcomes, both for the business to advance and to be profitable and to grow and to have innovation and creativity, but also for individuals to act in a way that is good and supports psychological safety and kindness and respect in the workplace. That's why you want company values in place. And the fact that UVU has created these leadership um, competencies rooted in the values, I think is phenomenal. And honestly, a poster child example of how other companies should consider doing this. Oh, well, thank you. It's been, it's been a big work in progress and a lot of people involved. I mean, even within the training program, we have 20 different facilitators from around campus. Like there are so many people that have contributed to make it successful and we've seen a ton of success. We were recently awarded a national and regional award for it. And it was so successful that we've actually translated it into the staff competency experience. So we have staff competencies that are pretty closely tied to the leadership competencies. And we have a workshop program and it's what they're evaluated on in their annual review and things like that. And the goal with that too is that that way we're building some career ladders as well, because if staff can be you know, competent in these staff competencies and they're very closely tied to the leadership competencies, then they can show like it's it's a pretty short jump, right, between the staff and the leadership competencies. So I agree a hundred percent. Like these competencies are really the behaviors that we're wanting. And it also helps us know like who's ready for additional roles as well. It can help people stay in the organization and grow within the organization versus feeling like they have to leave to grow. That's amazing. 
We're obviously not the only ones who think that that's a great uh, example to follow with the leadership competency program that UVU has instated, and uh, you've you've won awards for it. So, for everyone who's listening, <laughs> this is a great. I, I hope you were taking notes because there's so many actionable things that were listed here from Justine. She has so much experience for how little time she's been in her career. It's amazing. So thank you so much, Justine, for being on our podcast today. Thank you, everyone who listened. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss hearing the incredible insights of our guests. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was awesome. Thanks for tuning in to the Culture Profit Podcast and for being a part of our journey to prove that putting people first is best for business. Today's episode was sponsored by Mowbray. Want to get more employee reviews and streamline your employer reputation? Visit Mowbrium.com. Now go find one way to prioritize your people and watch your profits grow.